All right, everybody, welcome back to another awesome episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, where we speak to founders, CEOs, and the smartest people building up the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto industry. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, P-Tokens and P-Network. Uh, and if you've been listening to Crypto 101 for any amount of time, you've heard us call 2020 the year of interoperability. Over and over again, we're talking about this concept, and that's because the smartest teams in crypto are all focused on bridging the divide between the many different cryptocurrencies. So, imagine in the future, you won't have to worry about managing a million different addresses for your Bitcoin and your Ethereum and Litecoin and Tezos and EOS and all that stuff, right? Rather, you'll be able to send any crypto to any address at any time time. Well, that future is here and it's made possible by P Networks P Tokens. And the ticker symbol for that is PNT. So beyond that, P Tokens are able to be staked with a 42% annual yield. Wow. So that means if you stake a thousand tokens, by the end of the year, you would have earned an additional 420 tokens. I mean, that is serious business and it's a great way to be earning passive income. So if you want to learn more about the P Network, the leading protocol enabling interoperability, or how you can earn 42% annual yield on your P tokens, click the link in our show notes or go to www.p.network. Again, that's www.p, as in the letter P, dot network. Before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101Insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, it took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, we give you tips on you know, how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, all you good, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation, welcome to the earliest recording of Crypto 101 podcast in history. Pizza Mind, it is, it's your, it, we're recording, it's 8 a.m., but for most of you guys, Pizza Mind is nocturnal, so this is actually his bedtime, and he is up, but just barely. Pizza, how are we doing over there, man? 
Uh, you know, there's not many things in life that are worth getting up for, but uh, <laughs> our guest today is absolutely worth it. We are blessed with the presence all the way from Thailand by Sorvis, the CEO and co-founder of Band Protocol. Welcome to Crypto 101. Okay, good night. I did my part. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> A pleasure for me to be here as well. Um, and yeah. sorry for the time zone difference. <laughs> what no, time hey. is it for you? Well, it's 10 p.m., but, you know, I, again, Fair I work compromise. really late, so. So it is simultaneously our earliest recording and the latest recording for our guests. Um, we've never had anybody come on. So I, we, I know you've had a full work day uh, building band protocol and the future of decentralized finance. And so we want to, you know, upfront, thank you for staying up late and recording this. But let's just dive straight in. Um, you know, before we get started with your background and, you know, how you kind of think about the space, I just want to hear from boots on the ground in uh, Bangkok. We've never had a guest from Bangkok either. So what's the crypto community like over there? And uh, how do you see things progressing for the rest of rest of the year? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I call this actually surprisingly good um, for developers, um, as well as the crypto scene, right? Um, from a regulatory perspective, um, you know, the, the government is really friendly. <laughs> we have a full legal framework in terms of, you know, how to operate exchanges, you know, crypto exchanges have licenses. Um, you know, there are over five, six um, fully licensed um, crypto exchanges here in Thailand. Um, oh, wow. It's fully legal um, to trade cryptocurrencies. So, you know, they are, they are quite friendly. Um, and even in terms of the private companies, um, including the bank, um, they are really interested in this space. Um, one of the largest um, commercial bank here in Thailand uh, is looking really deeply into DeFi, um, trying to find where they can play in the space um, to sort of future-proof themselves and then uh, diversify their business as well. So it's really friendly here. Um, from a startup perspective, you know, not only us and Protocol, we also have Omiseko, um actually in Bangkok, right? And, and actually a few developers um, from um, different projects like Monero um, are here as well. So um, I would say it's a really wide brand scene. Um, a lot of traders <laughs> as well. Uh, we have a really, really active um, well, trading communities um, similar to you know everywhere else around the world. That's really cool. I'll definitely have to uh, make my way out there sometime. I've got a good friend out there that says they have roundtable pizza in Bangkok, and that's like the place to go. So I guess <laughs> I could. I guess I'll be okay out there. We have a really good food here. And in, in fact, I think you know, in the past three or four years, right, um, one of the biggest conferences of crypto usually hold in Bangkok as well. Uh, it's called Beyond Blanc. And then it was actually quite um, big, considered that the guest speaker that come over. Wow. Yeah. I mean, side note for anybody that cares about my personal life, I was supposed to be in Thailand in April. <laughs> um, I bought my girlfriend and I some tickets to go over there. And COVID happened. And, you know, back in uh, February, we realized, yeah, this probably this trip probably is not going to happen. And I just recently got my refund for that trip, uh, you know, six months later. So fun fact there. But so, Sorowitz, let's dive straight in. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about your background. You've got a really fascinating background. You've been an investor in the crypto space for a long time. Now you're building band. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so um, yeah, my background is quite a mixed background. So I'm actually an engineer by training. Um, I did a computer science um, for my undergrad at Stanford. Um, and then I did a master in management um, also at Stanford um, in the US. Right? Um, and, and that's sort of when I stumbled on Bitcoin 
in 2013 because I took a cryptography class uh, with Dan Pony. Um, that's when I was really fascinated by you know, the concept of Bitcoin, the concept of decentralization, uh, because me, myself, actually was, I'm a really political person <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I champion, of course, democracy, um, you know, and then it may seem too real, <laughs> but it's not really in this part of the world, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so, you know, I'm always Very a big advocate of that. Um, of, of decentralization and reducing power of government, especially dicta you know, dictatorship, <laughs> uh, right, that we see around the world, um, including Thailand. And that's sort of why it really clicked with me, right? The concept of Bitcoin, the concept of this whole decentralized applications really clicked with me. And, and that's why I really want to pursue it full time. Um, and then fast forward after 2013, you know, um, I was working at BCG, uh, Boston Consulting Group, as a management consultant for two years. On the side, I continued to invest in cryptos, continue to study, you know, what are some of the promising areas um, that can be worked on um, while, you know, being a consultant for two years. Then, then I quitted my job in around the early 2017, um, you know, decided that, you know, this is really something I really need to go full time on. Um, because I was sleeping three hours a day <laughs> and it wasn't really healthy. <laughs> you know, consultant is not an easy job. And on top of that, you know, I have to study this whole industry, um, you know, and invest and follow it as many people will realize, you know, it's become almost impossible to do that. Um, and it was, it's just too fascinating for me, um, too life changing for me. Um, and that's why I decided to, you know, jump in on, um, after consultant, um, and then found a Dan protocol in, in, um, around mid 2017. That's an awesome journey. Uh, I'm not sure if you're getting any more sleep being here full time or not. I know I'm certainly not. But one <laughs> it's thing getting you, worse. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Exactly. But one thing you mentioned that really stuck out to me is being a champion of democracy. And I really like that. So let's focus on DeFi for just a minute. Uh, do you think decentralized finance will always exist as a small alternative and outlier? to centralized traditional finance or can you see a future where maybe it's equally as big or can you see a future where DeFi literally makes the whole system as we know it obsolete and takes over what's your vision right. for it right i think my view is not as radical as you know some other people i i believe in a in a world where you know these both decentralized finance and centralized finance um, continue to coexist um, just simply because, again, decentralization has a lot of benefit, but it's not for everyone, right? Um, the UX and UI, right? Um, it, it's just almost impossible for me to imagine my dad and my mom to hold their own private key. There has to be some sort of middleman solution eventually um, where, you know, they will hold some sort of key for them, just like, you know, how most people still hold their token on Coinbase or on Binance, right? Um, but there needs to be some sort of middle ground there where you know, some users or most of the users will sacrifice some of these decentralization, um, but still have access to this decentralized finance as a back end, right? So what I imagine is a lot of decentralized finance will become a gatekeepers or you know, a gateways to, to access these services for normal people, for mass adoption, right? But that also means reduced fee, that means higher efficiencies, that means you know, the abilities for users to switch between different providers easily and seamlessly as opposed to being locked out to one, you know, provider, you know, who act like a rent seeker, you know, just like how we see it with the bank right now, right? Um, so I, I, I do think that decentralized finance is going to really shift the world um, in a sense of, you know, providing greater access and equal access to more people around the world. 
um, you know, and, and not just DeFi as we see it now. I mean, DeFi as we see it right now mostly is around lending, right? Is around money market, right? You have some sort of asset, you know, which is sitting in your, you know, basically your, your wallet um, that doesn't provide any yield. So now people you know, provide yield to, the, to those assets by doing borrowing and lending, right? This is basic primitive of finance. Right. But if you look at the world right now, um, in terms of centralized finance, it's go much more beyond that, right? We talk about derivative, we talk about options, um, we talk about um, insurances, we talk about you know, stock trading, right? Um, and I'm, I'm really bullish on those bring you know categories coming into cryptos, coming into decentralized finance, and that's when you know a lot of these will actually leash a, a much, I guess, more usages than what we see now. It's really fascinating, and I kind of want to dive straight into the mindset of a founder. Um, so tell us why you started Band Protocol. And I recall uh, when I first met you, you had told me, you, you know, you've been an early investor in uh, different, you know, Oracle solutions and different crypto projects. So did you see a particular problem that needed a solution? Did you see a booming business opportunity? What was really going through your head? Yeah, so in 2016-17, right, we saw a lot of experimentation, um, as well as a lot of white paper, <laughs> right? Uh, me and my team were, you know, tinkering around a lot with smart contracts, um, trying to build many applications, right? MakerDAO came out, we tried to, you know, see what, the, you know, the architecture is like, how to build stablecoin, basis, right, how to decide this decentralized stablecoin. Um, we also tried bidding applications, how do we bring, let's say, you know, Powerball or Megaball to, to, Everyone around the world, right? I mean, Thailand, I want to play a mega ball as well, a hubble ball as well, and it's impossible for me to do that, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, we try to build all these infrastructures. Um, and it's really fascinating. Um, and, and the thing is, every time we try to build these applications, uh, this decentralized application, we always ran into the same problems, um, which is what we know as you know, the Oracle problem, right? What this Oracle problem is, is essentially when you build smart contract, this application, you can think of it as a machine, right? It's just like a vending machine. As a vending machine, um, you know, it has no way to access information outside of that particular machine itself, right? It's just a machine where people can press button, right? Um, you know, and, and, and that makes the use case fairly limited, right? Um, it cannot do something really flexible just simply because the fact that that, that machine has no knowledge of the, you know, the world outside of it. Right? Makes sense, right? Um, same thing with smart contract. If you want to build something like decentralized finance, most likely you will need access to information outside of the blockchain itself, right? For example, betting application, right? If I want to, if I want to create an application that bet between, you know, um, whether Chelsea win the match or not, the machine has no way to know that you know, Chelsea actually win the match, right? Um, somebody has to tell that information to them, um, and that's a role of an oracle to provide information ranging from real-world event um, to financial data that we see in a lot of these DeFi. Um, and, and, and that's why we decide to focus on these Oracle problems. Um, and like you said, yes, we, we realize these are really, really big problems of the industry. Um, back then, you know, there were some you know, um, emerging um, solutions like Shimling, uh, as well as a few others. So Augur uh, is, can, can be considered as an Oracle as well. Uh, so yes, I do invest in a lot of these projects. Um, that's because simply because yeah, obviously I'm I'm really long this industry, um, and I think somebody got to solve this key piece of the infrastructure. What makes Band a different protocol from some of the others? Is there any technical detail or a different approach? What makes you guys slightly different? 
Right. I think a lot of this protocol um, and solutions have different design decisions and trade-off. Um, for us, right, uh, we actually differentiate many, to many other oracles by the fact that we live on our own blockchain. Um, so we built our own blockchain from you know, the Cosmos SDK. Uh, just think of it as a blockchain right label. Right? We built our own blockchain to make sure we address the scalability issues. Uh, because one other thing that we observe is that when we launch on Ethereum's, it was really difficult. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't really flexible, right? Because we have to rely on the Ethereum as an underlying protocol. Um, it was really expensive. Um, it was really expensive. I think anyone knows that right now. <laughs> um, and to carry one data from let's say twenty data providers, that become prohibitively expensive for us and for many other Oracle solutions as well. Um, and and also the block time itself um, is also really slow. Um, and, and let's say, you know, when what we observe is there are trends emerging from different layer one, right? You have Solana um, being really fast, you have Cosmos, you have Polkadot, um, Avalanche, a lot of these different blockchain coming to market. And if we rely on infrastructure on top of Ethereum, which slow, is slower than them, it becomes almost impossible for us to serve that data to them blockchain given the time limit constraint. And that's why we build our own blockchain for that performance, uh, make sure it's really optimized just for Oracle computation, make sure it's fast, make sure it's economically viable um, to serve this data across different blockchain to different applications. Um, and I think that's probably one of the one of the biggest advantages right now um, for that. That makes a ton of sense. So, you know, just for people out there who are listening, you know, band protocol is is providing all sorts of different off-chain data to a lot of these different layer one solutions like Ethereum and Cosmos. Um, so that's when we talk about interoperability here on Crypto 101. That's exactly the idea here uh, is that you have one blockchain that's kind of facilitating uh, communications between the others. Uh, so that's really cool. And it's, it's a really, really, really necessary piece of the puzzle that the industry is really still trying to figure out. Um, but beyond that piece of the puzzle, tell us another piece of the puzzle that DeFi is currently lacking and, and is who's, who's building it in, in your opinion, mm-hmm. you know? What, what do we still need? Right. Uh, I think DeFi, right, as, as it is right now, we still lack a really easy onboarding or a really intu- intuitive, you know, UX, UI, right? Um, mm. So if we talk about how to bring that to mass adoption, right? Um, like I said before, it's almost impossible to imagine my grandma or my parents putting all their savings into MetaMask and then turn that into, you know, interact with all this protocol. Right. I think that's a really key piece of the infrastructure for sure. Um, all these aggregators, all these front end interfaces. Um, and I mean, a, a lot of people are building that tool and start to make sure you know, it's, it's become much easier. Right. You see Sapper, um, Sapify, you see a lot of these other applications um, like Wallet as well that try to abstract away all these concepts and interfaces so users can use it. But again, it's still far from that, I think, in my opinion. Uh, before a lot of the mass can actually interact and understand that, right? Um, and another thing I would say is scalability, right? Again, just simply the fact that if you want to interact with some of this money market protocol, you're spending $10 per transaction, right? That's just, you know, that's that's impossible for a lot of these um, smaller retail mass users to interact with. It's just impossible, right? It's the name. Right now, it's a game of the waves, right? Only rich people are able to access this service without having to worry about that 10 20 or even $100 fee. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that scalability will actually bring this much um, easier for the mass. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the UFI Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done actually um, adopt it. Yeah. And to touch on that point, uh, this is right around the 1st of October when we're recording this. Ethereum 2.0's testnet just failed again and is going to experience more launch delays. As this continues, I think that more and more DeFi projects are going to migrate away. And the top contenders from my vantage point for this value to flow out of Ethereum is the Cosmos ecosystem, the Polkadot ecosystem, and the Binance Smart Chain ecosystem. I know you're familiar with all three. You decided to build on top of Cosmos. What other DeFi projects are you watching out or integrating with in that Cosmos ecosystem that we should probably take a, some more research into? Sure. Um, in the Cosmos ecosystem, right? Um, for me, what I'm, what I'm quite excited about is actually a, a project called Terra. Um, and this is not an investment advice. <laughs> um, uh, but Terra is a stablecoin um, project built in Korea, um, relatively um, famous as well, uh, because they're actually processing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, you know, right now uh, in stablecoin um, in payment um, through a lot of the retail e-commerce in Korea, and they're expanding beyond Korea right now. 
Um, and, and the founders actually found like, you know, one of the biggest e-commerce companies in Korea before. So they are quite, they are quite famous. Um, and, and the fact that they use this stable coin to increase efficiencies and reduce costs to a lot of the merchant as well as the actual you know, users who pay the, the money. Um, while those users do not have to understand cryptocurrency at all, right? They just transact it just like how they use credit card without knowing that the payment rail behind that, the technology behind that is actually powered by blockchain like Terra. Uh, it's actually a really powerful concept for me. Um, and, and that's one of the examples that I bring before in terms of how do we bring mass adoption, right? We actually abstract it away from the users, but they enjoy the same benefit of reduced cost and greater efficiencies. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would I would probably look into that for sure. Um, they're expanding beyond just um, being a stable code for payment. They're bringing more smart contract capabilities. They're bringing more um, projects like, you know, synthetic tokens, uh, derivative tokens um, that are going to be launched soon. Um, actually, I think, I believe in October, and I think it's off, you know, and I'm, I'm actually quite excited for that. Wow. Yeah, so we're definitely going to look into Terra uh, and Luna, into that entire That's ecosystem. Right. <laughs> Yeah, forming around there. We are we're privy to that, but everybody here listening on Crypto One Hundred and One, uh, check it out. Not financial advice, uh, but there's a ton of really exciting stuff, and and that's something that I didn't know actually. That the founder of that project was a big uh, e-commerce guy in South Korea. Really cool to hear. Um, one of the other aspects of, of crypto outside of DeFi. Uh, well, th- there's many different aspects of crypto outside of DeFi. Um, we see some supply chain stuff. Uh, we see some IoT stuff. Uh, we see some store of, like pure store of value and you know medium of exchange. How do you how do you kind of think about this entire world of of crypto outside of just the decentralized finance movement that maybe you're you know you're you're very very deep in? But have, do you ever think that there's you know value outside of the DeFi space? Right. Um, so yeah, um, uh, I guess the industry outside of DeFi, right? Um, for me, the the question I ask myself is, you know, what a type of application that you know people will value because they are censorship resistant or the fact that they are decentralized, right? Um, one of the areas that I hope will happen, um, actually, and quite bullish on, is um, social media, right? Uh, a platform to share information um, because that's probably one of the most powerful tools that that have. You know, been invented recently. Um, you know, people people are spending a lot of time on Facebook, on Twitter uh, to share content. But the fact that they are really centralized, they can take down all the content, they can censor all the content, um, is actually really dangerous. Right? You see that with election in 2016. You're seeing that uh, right now in 2020. And not only that, they are also subjected to a lot of these authorities coming in to censor content. Right? Um, one example, in Th- uh, fun fact, in Thailand, um, the Thai authorities um, try to sue Facebook and Twitter because there were some inappropriate content about the government or about you know something bad in Thailand. Wow, and it's just not Thailand, right? I mean, that's happened in China for sure. I'm sure okay, that's why they blocked Facebook and, and all of that, right? Um, and I think that's a really dangerous territory, right? The fact that a lot of this government would claim to be uh, you know in democracy try to censor all this content, um, even suing the Facebook and Twitter to take that content, which they ultimately need to comply because they were threatened to put people into the jail uh, because of that, right? They actually raped the office of Facebook before. And so, you know, these are some of the things that um, I'm personally um, quite bullish and, and hope that in the next few years, somebody can come along and invent that, 
Um, and yeah, beyond that, social media, I think gaming, betting applications um, are some of the uh, areas that I'm also quite uh, interested in. Uh, we are seeing a lot, of, a number of projects working on that um, that should come to production in the next few months. Very, very interesting. Um, I want to talk more about decentralization in just a second, but let's wrap up the whole Oracle thing real quick before we do. Will there always be a need for Oracles? as standalone entities, as these bridges, or can some of these next gen blockchains that are being built and new smart contracts be able to read the outside world on their own? Is this a stopgap measure or are Oracle's here to stay? Right. I'm pretty sure Oracle is here to stay. Um, I do not think it makes sense. Um, and Vitalik actually has said in this before as well, that Oracle should be big into the layer one solution. Uh, because simply, you know, if you do that, you complicate a lot of this layer one logic. Um, you want lo- you want layer one to basically be deterministic, right? When we say deterministic, that means everything can be verifiable and everyone can agree on what is the version of truth, right? And that's easy to do in a deterministic machine, right? Ethereum, like Bitcoin. The problem with Oracle is that it cannot be 100% soft. What I mean by that is, you know, if I ask you, what's the price of Bitcoin right now? Even you and me cannot agree on the truth, right? Is Bitcoin 1,201 or 1,105, right? You know, it's, yeah, it, it's not an exact truth, right, per se here. And, and that's why Oracle is not 100% soft. It's not 100% deterministic. You want to be able to get close to 100%, 99% um, due to, you know, using a crypto economic incentive to make sure that happened. But it's not going to be 100%. And that's why baking that into layer one just simply does not make sense um, from that perspective, as well as the fact that, again, because it's not 100% solvable, um, there are different decide trade off. And I think it makes sense a lot for this project to innovate and, you know, you know, come out with their own decide trade off, come out with their own design decision, and then different projects can choose which one they want to use uh, based on their preference and trade off. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, before we actually move on to Pizza Mind's decentralization, uh, the, the comment that he wanted to make on decentralization, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like your stance on Bitcoin, because a lot of people that are in Ethereum and building these new next gen blockchains, they all just shit talk Bitcoin. They say <laughs> slow, doesn't adapt, old, not worth it. There's better stuff. What do you think? Right. Um, so for context, I'm not a maximalist and I don't think it's, <laughs> um, I don't think it's healthy to do that. Um, okay. So, I mean, for me, I, I still do believe um, quite a lot in Bitcoin, not saying it's going to be, you know, in all and all, you know, it's going to be the final in solution. But right now, for me, I think it's still stand a chance to become the, the best, uh, I guess, stock, uh, digital stock value in the future, just simply due to the network effect, simply due to the simple nature of it. Right. Again, simply because there's no complication, there's no um, risk of smart contract breaking down. There's no risk of all this money Lego, you know, falling off the cliff. It's such a stable stock value. Yeah, if you're if you're a big fund, of course, you don't want to risk all your money uh, because somebody has tried to write a piece of code on top of whatever money you have. Right. Um, and so for me, I do still think Bitcoin with it the best network effect right now um, still send the, the biggest chance to conquer that stock value. And I also do think Ethereum is going to capture a lot of value as well, simply because you know they are beginning the world computers and a lot of values, valuable services like DeFi are being built on top of them. Very well said. Uh, we're definitely big believers in Bitcoin over here as the hardest money there is, 
But while it is arguably the beginning, not technically the beginning, but arguably the beginning of all this crypto movement, um, it's only the first step. And there's many, many more on the bridge. And as I always say, you can't have a sports league if the only team you have is the Yankees. You need several winners and several contenders to have an industry. And that's okay. And decentralizing the winners and the value that's being brought into this industry, or being brought into this industry, excuse me. We've seen decentralization take the forefront of the topics of debate following the KuCoin hack recently. Some teams that have control over their smart contracts were able to issue freezes on stolen tokens, and that stirred up a lot of debate about are these systems actually decentralized or not? And then other teams that didn't make that decision, um, you know, they just let it go. So there's a, a lot of debate as to who can do what and for what reasons. It's a slippery slope if a team decides to circumvent their decentralized nature and do something without a governance vote. But there is over $130 million at stake. That's a lot of money. And you don't want to reward bad behavior. But where should the industry intervene in these matters? Where should it start? Where should it stop? What's your stance on this issue? Yeah, I do think it's a really tricky um, position. Um, I mean, for for us, obviously, as a project um, that issue token as well, I, I do sympathize with a lot of these founders especially the early projects, right? The, pro- the newer projects that are just starting to come into the market, starting their development you know, and issue the tokens. I do sympathize with them. Uh, now, where do I stand? I think it's a spectrum, right? Decentralization is a spectrum. Uh, and, and that's why I mentioned that for the younger, you know, earlier, you know, just recently started projects, obviously they're not going to be these super decentralized from day one. Right. They're always going to be leaning more towards centralized version and then try to decentralize that over time. And I mean, that's that's the same with Ethereum, right? Um, you know, you, you see that with the DAO uh, where a lot of the money were being hacked and that's why they roll back that decisions um, just to save the project and to make sure it can continue, right? Um, and, and I think we see we see exactly that for a lot of these projects, right? Some of these money, like 130 million, is a lot to a lot of these projects. And if they not, do not roll that back, you know, I some of them will basically, you know, the project can collapse, right? And their token holders may potentially, you know, go away from them, right? Even though it's not their um, fault from that happening, right? So I, I do yeah. sympathize with that decision. We've seen some of a couple tokens have over half their circulating supply get drained because KuCoin was their main exchange. And to have half your circulating supply mm-hmm. in the hands of some hacker yeah. <laughs> who only wants to dump it for any price is extremely dangerous. Right. Uh, so some of them have stepped in, some of them didn't. It's a very, very fascinating financial experiment uh, that no one intended to take place, but <laughs> it's going to be very interesting watching the fallout from this stuff happen. Yeah, and I think for sure. No, I was going to say, um, you know, it's ultimately then, you know, as a, you know, as an audience, right, who actually look at all these you know, different projects, it's up to you to decide, you know, which project is trustworthy, which project is not, right? And, and this trustworthy is, is funny because, again, if you want to be truly decentralized, you don't need to trust anyone, right? But as it stands, 
yes, you do need to translate this project to execute their project well, to actually deliver on their roadmap. And so, yes, there are that degree of trust, degree of centralization from the start, from the get-go, right? Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think it's up to the readers, uh, the, the viewer, to really decide, you know, where do they sit on this spectrum? What are they comfortable with um, in terms of investing or, you know, putting their money into a lot of these projects? Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Uh, it's one of those things that, yeah, like, you know, just to reiterate, decentralization is a gradient, right? It's it, There's 50 shades of, uh, of decentralization, maybe more. But uh, <laughs> Sorowitz, I want to know, before we let you go, we've got a couple closing questions, but I want to know what's next up on the roadmap for BAND. Uh, what are you really excited about uh, that you guys have coming up within the next couple quarters? Yeah, I think I think two things. Um, one is adoption for sure. Um, you know, now that our Oracle is up and running, and you know, uh, has been battle tested quite a while um, on mainnet. You know, we are really excited to integrate with a lot of these partners that we've been working with for the past couple of months. Um, I think you already seen a lot of that. Um, you know, partnership announcement from us um, recently. We have a lot more in the pipeline that we've been working uh, in in testnet environment, and a lot of that going to be moving toward production level in the next few months. And I'm really excited for that, uh, to see that adoption and the on-chain matrices, the on-chain revenue um, that flow through the network and further decentralize our network, just like what we discussed, right? Admittedly, of course, we are, you know, centralizing in terms of development in, in the past uh, one year. Um, now, of course, we want to decentralize that pr uh, process further, having more decentralized governance process um, to make, that, that, make sure that's in place is something I'm really excited about. Uh, that's the first part. Now, the second part is working more with enterprises. Um, so before, we've been working more closely in the crypto ecosystem, right? Um, but right now, there are a surging uh, interest from a lot of enterprises around the world to deal with Oracle, either being a data provider, serving the data and commercializing that uh, to a lot of these emerging decentralized applications, um, as well as some of the, some of the um, like I said, uh, financial institutions that want to jump into DeFi. Uh, we're really excited to work with them um, and see how we can bridge the two world and drive this toward more mass adoption, you know, soon. So yeah, super excited about that. Very cool. All right. This is a question that we ask everyone that comes on the show and it's so interesting, all the different answers we get. What company besides band besides Cosmos or anything that you're directly involved in, what is one company you think is going to have the greatest impact on the crypto space? Ooh, that's a really tough question. Um, let me think. There's no wrong answers. That's a good thing. One crypto project that's going to change um, the space. Yeah. I would say that right now, um, and again, project that are clearly not related to us because, again, we have a lot of projects that are clearly related to us. <laughs> so I'm just going to pick someone outside of the you know, project that we have you know, integrated with uh, because obviously we have interest in that. Um, I would pick Optimism. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you heard optimism. of this optimistic roll up, right? Um, you know, I've uh, been following the team, been following the technology. Um, and the fact that, as you mentioned, E2.0 is not going to be going to ship for a while. I do think that layer two solution like optimism um, can potentially change uh, the industry uh, in the sense that, you know, bringing that short term and long term solution to the scalability issues. And then you already see a lot of DeFi projects starting to migrate to that. Our engineering team has been looking into that solution as well. Yeah, it's funny. I was just having a conversation yesterday with somebody about optimism um, oh, and nice. the UK <laughs> rollups that they're doing. So yeah, we're we're big yeah. fans of that layer two solution. 
Um, well, cool. Uh, and before we let you go again, last question we're going to ask you, if this is the first podcast uh, that somebody is listening to regarding cryptocurrency, right? They're just getting into the space. They turn on Crypto 101 and they're listening to Sorovitz. What do you want them to know before before you uh, close out here? As in like, uh, I want to know anything about crypto. Yeah, right? just a word of wisdom. Yeah, like, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time. What can mm-hmm. they expect? What are some words of admonishment or encouragement or anything? Right. I think for me, crypto is you know the, the most fascinating industry in the world, right? Um, I think you know, the best decision in my life so far has been to enter crypto um, industry full time. And we need more builders and we need more people who are more educated um, and smart people to enter the space. Um, to innovate on this. Um, so uh, you know, if you are on the fence, I would strongly encourage you to study a lot, do your own research, right? Um, try out the product yourself. Um, don't even have to think about investment perspective because for me, those are more of a distraction. Even for me, I, I try not to shake prices, you know, every other day um, or not as frequent um, simply because it's just a distraction. Um, and I would focus more on the development side of things, right? If you're not technical, that's okay, right? You can look at the business perspective, trying to find a problem that we're solving for. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that. We are just in the really beginning and early stage of the industry. Um, and I would strongly encourage everyone to, to, to dig deeper. And if you know, they find that concept fascinating, spend a, you know, it's, it's actually worth considering you know, spending a few years of full time here because it may change your life, just like how you change mine. Perfect. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Sorvitz, couldn't thank you enough uh, for joining us today. We will no put uh, we will put your Twitter in the show notes, along with you know uh, your you know, the Band Protocol website. And we just hope you have a great great rest of your evening there. Get some rest. Got a lot of building to do, my friend. <laughs> yes, you too. Thank you so much for having me as well. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Cheers. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.